I'm Michelle. I'm Rob. And this, and this is, is Two Librarians Walking to a, a Shelf. It's episode 49, and today we're talking about conspiracy theories. And it's not just any conspiracy theory. These are all conspiracy theories from the movie The Shining. The Before you brought this up, I did not realize this was a thing. I had no idea. Before I saw this documentary. So we're talking about Stanley Kubrick's The Shining from 1980. There's a documentary. It's in the system. If you want to put it on hold, pick it up. Room 237. And it talks. To, I, at length. At length. To five or six? I mean, I can't tell how I many because it bounces around. So it's about these people who have found all these amazing theories within the movie. And they all have stuff in common as far as maybe where they are in their life. I think you said you picked up on that. Yeah, it seems like they're all down on their luck or just hit rock bottom or have just lost their way. And at that moment in their life, they pick up on something in this realm of conspiracy thinking that I feel probably just gives them meaning. And they latch on to this, this truth that they've created. You think it's because they're in a place and then they think they've made this discovery and it, it comes together in their mind and they're, they're just like so adamant to make everybody else see it? I think so. And they, they believe it wholeheartedly, clearly, or they, you know, they wouldn't be in a documentary about it. But I think when, when people hit rock bottom or down on their luck or whatever, I think they're willing to latch onto anything to give them something t that moors them. You know, they've got their lighthouse, they've got their anchor. And for a lot of people, I think that some people latch onto religion some people latch on to conspiracy theories. And there's a difference between a conspiracy. Watergate was a conspiracy. A conspiracy theory is like grandiose and there's no way you can prove it. Even if, like, you can't prove any of these things. They're so full of conjecture. So a conspiracy is something that can be proven. They're real. A conspiracy theory is like aliens built the pyramids. Or... Stanley Kubrick staged the moon landing. Yeah, there was a lot of ideas that came out of this movie. Like, I watched it. I've seen it several times, seen it in the theater. I never realized that it was Stanley Kubrick's clever letting us all know that he staged the moon landing footage. Not that we didn't go to the moon, because we did. We just, that's a different conspiracy. That's a, Not yeah. going to the moon is a different conspiracy. The gentleman that speaks in the documentary yeah, yeah. is very clear. We did go. I mean, we don't have any proof of it because the proof was fake. And Stanley couldn't live with himself anymore. You see it in the film when the two characters are arguing. And Wendy says, I don't know who you are. You know, what's going on? That is clearly Kubrick's wife. Calling him out on the on the moon landing, as is as it is explained in the documentary. I didn't watch the whole documentary. I'm just going to be honest about that. I watched part of it, and I felt like it was enough to kind of get the gist of the situation. And it it the pacing of the documentary is a little slow, in my opinion. I think it could have been snappier. It 
the weird thing about the documentary is it plays this music like it's building up to something and it never builds it, to anything. It, there's nothing. There's no satisfaction to that. Um, these guys just keep rambling on and on and on about these connections that they've made to like the color of something in the carpet or um, the baking powder behind his head in the scene. That's in, obviously in the, the genocide of the Native Americans, the white man coming to America. That's Stanley saying we we did them wrong. Well, we did. And we did. And I'm and this movie's about that. Sure. I mean, the moon landing thing, like when you really think about it, it makes sense because the little Danny's wearing an, an Apollo 11 sweat, sweater at one point. If that doesn't say, hey, I did the moon landing footage and I directed 2001, which we think is probably the closest to what being in outer space would be like. I mean, I don't know what else. I don't know what else you need. It's also it's got ties to Hitler. And I've got so many notes. There's parts of my notes where I just, I'm like, I, I'm exhausted from this movie. It was, it was a lot. And I, I, I think it could have been half as long. It could have been like a 30 minute episode and a ongoing thing on the history channel or something. And it would have been better t- to digest. There's that one uh, lady who speaks about, there's a poster on the wall. I don't know if you got this far and, if you just look at it briefly, it's just a skiing poster. It's a guy skiing downhill. But we know from the movie that when Jack asked the manager of the hotel, why aren't we open for skiing? He says it's no good for skiing. So why is that poster up there if they don't have skiing? Well, obviously, if you squint your eyes just right, it looks like a minotaur. And that takes on a whole nother meaning. Uh. <laughs> I wish I had commentary for that. I don't. But I feel like we could probably sit here and come up with our own conspiracy theories that would be just as believable as what was in this documentary. So it's about witches because on Danny's big wheel ride, he starts riding on the first floor and he rides around. And if you're paying attention to the architecture of how everything's built, he's all of a sudden on the second floor. And that's because the witch in the movie that lives in room 237 has done magic. So you just thought it was a movie. I really just thought it was a movie. We're really trying to be serious here. But it's hard for me to take this seriously. It is. And I, and I wish it, I don't mean to be disrespectful to anyone that feels very strongly about any of these things. But I do want to mention that sometimes putting all of your faith into something that can't be proven and it's just a theory can be really damaging to like yourself, your relationships, the people around you, your critical thinking skills. A lot. And and we're just and, talking about people who found stuff in this movie. So it seems harmless, but I don't think I'd want to sit in a room with any of these people and talk about The Shining. No, probably not, because I think they would ruin the movie for you. They sort of did. I mean, this just goes on and on and on. 42 minutes, Mark. I am getting done with this film. I didn't watch that much. (laughs) (laughs) I'm exhausted, and it's only 54 minutes in. Uh, What's amazing is almost every one of them says that when they find something in the movie that most people uh, 
disregard it and say it's a continuity mistake, but they all know that Kubrick didn't make mistakes. So it's obviously Kubrick winking to them. It's a message. It's a message. There's a lot of messages. I feel like Kubrick wasn't really the type to hide his messages. Like his movies don't really seem to have a lot of hidden meaning. They seem to just be like, and here's the meaning. I don't know. 1942. 42 comes up over and over again in the movie. It's a big year for World War II. The Germans, Nazis, 42. 42 cars parked in the parking lot. But. If you don't count the ones parked off to the side. Right. <laughs> Six stacks of 7-Up bottles. It's 42, man. I'm seeing Do it. Do they even still make 7-Up? I think so. Okay. I don't think they come in green bottles, though, anymore. Okay. This this thing was all over the place. And it's entertaining. If you can watch it, I mean, I can, I understand that if, if you're in a weird point in your life, you can be sucked into this kind of stuff. Yes. I think that's easy. Because yes. it, it does give you something to anchor on to. It's kind of like anything else in life. Video games, Dungeons and Dragons, movies, books. You just kind of, you just need something to connect to but some of this stuff is you listen to it and you're like wow it feels a little too outlandish i sit there and i think am i not paying attention i thought this was about a guy who went nuts because of the ghosts up at this hotel i didn't even see the nazis you have to be looking real hard for the nazis wait a minute wait a minute all that tang in the storeroom is Kubrick winking and saying, hey, I did the moon landing footage, guys, and here's my proof. Pang. I don't, I don't know that that's what he... Maybe he was trying to say that. Again, I don't want to say anything disparaging against the people in the documentary. They clearly believe these things very strongly. I just wonder if maybe having access to so much information now that we do on the internet where you can find literally anything to confirm something that you want to believe. Right. Maybe that's not the place we need to be. Like, I don't know. I just, I'm not so sure that the internet is helping society as a whole anymore. It might not be. Cause, cause now you can, you can literally find something on the internet to confirm whatever it is you want to believe regardless if it's true. Right. But if the internet says it's there. But if you can find it on, you know, and, and someone has written it in a way that sounds authoritative, a lot of people fall for just something on the internet. It's being, it's written, it's text on a website that looks okay. You know, it's not like GeoCities from 1998 or whatever. Like it looks polished. It's a website, has an author, and it's written in an authoritative manner. People will believe it. Somebody took the time to write it. They so it wouldn't must do be that. True. Yeah, they wouldn't do that. But we have an entire library full of stuff that people took the time true. to True. We do have a fiction. True. Yeah, we do have aisles and aisles. So, of have you ever watched fiction. any episodes of Ancient Aliens, that History Channel show? I have. I've watched a few episodes. And honestly, they can be very entertaining depending on what expert they have right. on for that episode. But sometimes the connections they're trying to draw between things is just so far fetched. 
Same with any show that covers Bigfoot. Yes. Those are incredibly entertaining. Almost yes. as entertaining as some of my favorite Bigfoot movies. And yes, I do have favorite Bigfoot movies, but that's... Is it Harry and the Hendersons? No, it's not. Oh. Creature from Black Lake. The okay. greatest Bigfoot movie ever made. But that's a conversation for another time. Fine. So I disagree. Uh, <laughs> you do watch them and sometimes you do wonder like, what is going on? How do you think this is... Yeah. I, How do you not? I mean, those are bobcat tracks. That's what ate your chickens. <laughs> or there's this, uh, there's a podcast called Wild Thing. And the first episode of Wild Thing is about people that believe in Bigfoot. Um, and it was very interesting. And the reporter is trying to do it, you know, to do these interviews and present the information in a respectful way. They're not trying to joke on anybody for believing this. You right. Know? And it, listening to it, these people really believe that Bigfoot is out there. And their evidence is they found fur in a nest in the woods. Oh, that's and, hard to do. <laughs> and, and, I, that, but that, and that's their evidence. It was a big nest and a lot of fur. I'm like, oh, too well, much fur. Pa- panthers are big. So, you know, fine. Well, room 237, maybe check it out. I think it's worth watching. Watch it for entertainment. For entertainment. And, you know, if something rings true to you, then, you know, that's probably fine. It's harmless. Not all conspiracy theories are harmless. Right. Yeah. These are these are all fairly harmless. But these, you know, like you can you can believe that that Kubrick staged the moon landing if you want to. I think this is stuff that these people truly believe and they found a way to connect it to this to kind of back them up. Yeah. They at least did some work. They had to watch the movie like 600 times. <laughs> and I think that the movie presents them and pretty like, straightforward, you know. The, the person that like if you squint and turn your head just right, the skier looks like the Minotaur. That's a lot of work. I mean, I can literally take my glasses off, squint, and everything looks like a Minotaur cuz my eyes are so bad. <laughs> I am not going to think anything of that. Um, did you get to the part where the guy's talking and he's going in deep? And his kid busts in the room and is making noise. He's like, uh, hold on a second. No. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. I thought it was funny they left it in there, but I don't like the idea that they put it in there maybe to make him look like a goofball. Maybe it's just like, hey, he's a normal person. He's got kids running around. Yeah, I would I would assume it's just because he's just like normal, normal dude. And, and on the side, he's crazy about The Shining. Yeah. I hope that's all it was. It's, you know, it's yeah. like those all those bloopers from last year where reporters are doing the news from home and, and their, their kid kids bust, <laughs> bust in. in. So that was the first time I ever saw that was in this one. Cause this, this is a couple years old now. I think it came out in 2017, 2018. Okay. But uh, yeah, room two, three, seven, it's all about the shining and all it's many, many mysteries and uh, stuff like that. Uh, it, it even has some, uh, one of the speakers talks about how, Kubrick, like Stephen King hated the movie. I think everybody knows that because it, it's, it's not the book. No, it deviates so much from the book. Right. And that in the book, Jack Torrance drives a particular color VW bug. And so when we see him and his family driving up to the uh, hotel, it's a, it's a VW bug, but it's a different color. And then later on when Holloran is coming to save them, there's a, 
fatal traffic accident, and it's it's a VW Bug, the color of the VW Bug in the book. And so they're like, this is obviously Kubrick telling Stephen King, I don't care about your book because this is my movie. I'm like, man. That's harsh. Like, I don't know that much about Kubrick. I don't know that he was throwing that much shade all the time. I don't think he would have cared if, I don't, what oh, Stephen yeah. King thought. I think he was just making a movie. Making his movie. Yeah. Movies and books are different, but it's it's, okay. it's entertaining. It's uh, it's entertaining. Check it out. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was entertaining. Books. Let's talk about books. I have got a book that I enjoyed. I was looking so forward to it uh, when it was announced last year. Ruby Falls by Deborah Goodrich. I'm sorry. Ruby Falls by Deborah Goodrich Royce. Oh, if you remember, I do. I read and enjoyed Finding Mrs. Ford. And that's like episode three. That's like throwback. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Going back in time now. So I read her first book. And if you remember that episode, she was an actress and she was in some of my favorite slasher movies mm-hmm. like April Fool's Day and remote control and stuff like that. And so she had another, had announced another book, Ruby Falls. And this is a total mystery. We're introduced to the main character, Ruby Falls. Like I grew up in Chattanooga. So to me, Ruby Falls is like this underground waterfall. And I was just curious, did this have anything to do with it? Yes, it does. It, that the whole mystery starts in Ruby Falls when she's a, a young, when the main character is a young girl, her father goes missing and in the waterfall? That's what, maybe. Okay. And her whole life is kind of messed up because of that trauma from spending a day with dad, and then he disappears, and no one knows what happens. And then she turns in, uh, so then she later becomes a, an actress, and she has some hard times. Uh, she gets married. There's a lot of mystery about her new husband and her manager and her mom are worried about her and there's a lot of stuff going on and all i'll tell you is that it builds and it builds i never got ahead of it i absolutely loved it it kept me reading and usually i like to read a couple chapters a day and call it good i think i read the last 120 pages like in a rush that's weird for you yeah I just, I just wasn't going to do anything that day until I finished. And 120 pages, like when you have that much left, that's a good part of the book. Yeah. Like, like it's like you get within 20 pages, you kind of finished 120. I was committed to it because it just kept building. Okay. And so the one thing that she does, each chapter is named after a famous mystery book, movie, and it kind of ties into the chapter. And I thought that was clever. I thought it was, it could be a trap. It's easy to maybe make reference to other mysteries and then the reader kind of starts to compare your mystery to like a classic mystery. And so maybe, you know, I, movies that do that, that that pay homage to another movie and you start watching, you realize like, oh, they're 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 paying tribute to this movie. That was a much better movie. I'd rather watch that movie. <laughs> you know. Her, her book does not do that at all. It just keeps building. I could, I easily saw this as a cool black and white Hitchcock movie. There were some scenes with one character that had a bunch of cats. I kind of saw that as a real colorful Mario Bava Italian thriller. Uh, 
there's one really violent part. I can really see that as a De Palma, Brian De Palma moment. It was really great. So I can't recommend Ruby Falls enough. We've got a couple copies in the system that you can put them on hold. It is available on Hoopla, though, right now. All right. The audio, the, the, um, the ebook is available on Hoopla. And now her other book, Finding Mrs. Ford, is also available on Hoopla on both ebook and audiobook. And I highly recommend that one. But second book, man, she killed it. I hope this is a movie. I hope they do it as a black and white. And then when you get to the kill scenes, it goes into glorious color. I mean, it's very stylish. Uh, she even mentions that her inspiration was Rebecca, which is still a very popular. Yeah, that's uh, a good one book. if you haven't read it. Yeah, I've seen the movie. I haven't, I haven't read it, but I'm kind of interested in it now. So what do you got? Um, I have kind of, I guess, appropriate considering what we were just talking about with the conspiracy theories. But the book is called Cultish, The Language of Fanaticism. Oh, by the author's name is Amanda Montel. And you've seen the book on the shelf by her called Word Slut. Yeah. She wrote that. Okay. And I love that book, but I, I like language and word things. So of course I love that book, but this one is about how kind of how everyday things in our lives are kind of culty because of the language that we use. Hmm. Um, so one of the examples that she uses that we don't necessarily consider culty or like some of these like exercise programs like CrossFit or soul cycle where they kind of suck you in with their language. And I don't know, it's cult ish. It's not a cult, but they're just, we're just, we're apparently as a society. Okay. With lots of things around us sucking us in and acting like a cult. She also has a podcast about it. And do you, do you listen to that? Yeah, it's new. So there's only a few episodes out cause the book just came out oh, okay. and I haven't finished the book yet, but it's so good. And I'm so close to like finishing. I just wish I could be home reading it right now, but sure. here I am. Um, <laughs> but the podcast is interesting cause she got, she and a friend kind of talk about something in American society that they think is cultish and they kind of rate it on a scale of like, how culty is it? So one of the episodes is like frats and sororities. Oh yeah. And like how culty is it? And like they've determined that sororities are like slightly culty, but fraternities are way more culty because of like the secrecy and the hazing and the detriment to your body that they kind of put you through to be a part of this brotherhood and how men tend to carry it forward. Even after college and sororities are like, Oh yeah, sorority sister. But like, Frat dudes are frat dudes forever. Well, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't know anything. I, I did not participate in that life in college, so I don't know, but I do know that there are f dudes I know that were in fraternities that are still like fraternity is sacred. I'm, I actually still belong to Lambda, Lambda, Lambda. I went to Adams college. Adams is the best. And I got in with that. So, it was like a tech frat. All right, I'm I don't know it's, why I didn't see that coming. <laughs> it's Revenge of the Nerds. Yeah, I, don't, I know. <laughs> I just, I, I'm shocked that I didn't expect that. What is the matter with me? We've only been doing this for like a year. Oh, it's good to know I can still shock you. <laughs> I just don't know why 
I, anyway, <laughs> sorry. It's okay. Um, anyway, the book is really interesting and she's, she's mostly talking about the way these groups use language around what they're doing to draw people in, keep you hooked more, more so than like, if they're really a cult and like, you know, hurting your life and isolating you from your friends. Like it's, you know, she's not saying that soul cycle is a cult, but it's like people become addicted or sucked into these things because of the language that they use. So it's been interesting to think about the types of things that you might say just in regular life. We call them, well, they're called thought terminating cliches. So like do your own research. You might see that mm-hmm. all over the internet now. Right. Do your own research. That's a thought terminating cliche. So it's like basically like I'm shutting you down until you do your own research or it is what it is. It's a thought terminating cliche. So like it's supposed to shut down any critical thinking. It's supposed to shut down any more argument or discussion about it. Um, and we use a lot of those things. We see it a lot more now because the internet apparently encourages cultish language and thinking. Not, a, I mean, I believe that it's true. Sure. Anyway, so we've got the book in the system, uh, cultish language of fanaticism by Amanda Montel. Recommend. It's short, easy to read, and entertaining. No big words. There are big words, <laughs> but it's not like a tome. You know, it's like right. a solid two hundred and thirty pages of entertaining. Deep thinking. So that was good. All right. Sounds good. So now I think we have some guests. Yeah. We're talking to our makerspace people. All right. Let's do that. Uh, My name is Jake Cornelius. I'm the makerspace specialist at the upcoming South Branch. And I'm Nora Barr. I am the makerspace specialist here at the Madison Branch. So let's start with talking about what people can do in the Madison makerspace. What all can people do here? So the highlights reel really fast is we have several 3D printers. You can set up a 3D print. I will help you with that. We have a CNC router that lets you cut out of wood, um, acrylic, and all sorts of other fun materials. Several sewing machines, an embroidery machine, and a serger for all of your costuming and sewing needs. Um, we have a laser cutter, a Glowforge laser cutter, which is exactly as cool as it sounds. Um, in addition to that, I have all sorts of fun things like drawing tablets, uh, video and audio editing software. We have the recording equipment that this podcast is made on. Um, I have digital media conversion equipment and a couple of crickets for making really fun stuff out of vinyl and paper. Jake, what? Do you think the South Huntsville Library is going to have when you guys open? Yes. So a uh, big part of what we want to do is try to match the needs of our community um, for each each branch that has a makerspace. So we're, we want to have 3D printers. We're going to have um, sewing machines, uh, things like the Cricut cutter, things like that. Um, but we're also open to other ideas and feedback that the community has. So. Once we open, uh, come by and see what we do have. Uh, that list may expand. And let us know uh, what you'd like to see and what you'd like to do, what kinds of projects you'd like to tackle, because um, that is definitely something that we can develop as time goes on and kind of make that space fit what the neighborhood uh, is interested in doing. 
Cool. And if you want to give that in- input, you can send it. Where we usually send our feedback here at the podcast is madison at hmcpl.org. Just put it in the subject line that it's makerspace questions or podcast questions, and they'll send it on its merry way to the right person. Yeah, we're all, we're all in the same group chats here. So. Yep, yep. So outside of the makerspace, you work at a library. I'm going to have to ask you library questions. Nora, what is your favorite book? That is not a fair question. Um, can I give you like my favorite book this month? Yes. Okay, that's a more fair question. My favorite book this month is Wedgie and Gizmo. And unfortunately, I cannot think of the author, but we do have it in the collection under the title Wedgie and Gizmo. It is about a gerbil that wants to rule the world named Gizmo and a corgi who is kind of goofy and silly named Wedgie. And basically, Gizmo thinks that Wedgie is a supervillain, or actually really a superhero, because he thinks that himself is a supervillain. And they basically get up to all sorts of fun gerbil and corgi shenanigans. And it is the best book, and my corgi and I give it 10 out of 10 paw prints. (laughs) Did you read it to Thor? I did read it to Thor. Okay. Aww. And I likewise can't speak to a favorite book, but the most recent book that I read that I loved uh, was a book called A Memory Called Empire by uh, Arkady Martin. Uh, She has a background as a city planner and a Byzantine scholar, so uh, her sort of sci-fi fiction is very much based on world building and how civilizations actually work and about different cultures coming together and clashing and it's really interesting read and she's got a follow-up called the desolation called peace that kind of uh takes place in some space stations with an alien threat uh those are just really good books and i enjoyed reading those that sounds cool so does anyone see any good movies to be perfectly honest no because covid i've been too scared to set foot in a movie theater but I have watched The Great British Baking Show a record setting eight times in the past year. Um, incidentally, we have three seasons of The Great British Baking Show available for checkout here at the Madison Library. It's also available on Hoopla. I've been watching the trailer to The Green Knight over and over and over again. By the time this podcast airs, this movie should be out. And if y'all need to ask me any questions more quickly than a feedback email, you can probably just come to the theater and just like, find whatever show times there are and, and, and see me because I'm going to be watching that movie. So what is that? Uh, the Green Knight. It's based on the 14th century chivalric romance Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. stars Dev Patel, my very good friend. Um, <laughs> and uh, it looks very good. It does look very good. Yeah. I'm, I'm very into that movie. Yes. Anytime now, please. Yeah. What are you watching, Rob? I watch everything. What did you watch this week? This week? Mm-hmm. Why do you always turn it back on me? This isn't about me. Uh, yesterday, I watched the VHS copy of House of Death, which is one of the great forgotten slasher movies from 1982. And it's forgotten because nobody ever saw it. It's the kind of slasher movie that reminds people why people hate slasher movies, because they're all dumb and derivative of Friday the 13th. Uh, you start watching it, and you forget what you're watching. And then you wake up all of a sudden, and it's over. And I loved it. I, I love that kind of film, frankly. I can get behind that. What about you? What have you been watching or reading? Well, I know what you're reading. <laughs> We're reading the same thing right now. Um, what am I watching? 
I rewatched the Da Vinci Code again. No for, shame. For the, how many times have you seen it? I don't know. Probably Too as many, many times as I've seen House of Death. So just because you brought up the Da Vinci Code, I do have a question. Mm-hmm. Why is it with Robert Langdon, the you know the main character of the Da Vinci Code's rather well documented tendency to run off with um, priceless artifacts? Do people keep leaving him alone with priceless artifacts? Why do they keep doing that? Yeah. I don't. I don't know. I. Because it's Tom Hanks, I guess. I would trust Tom Hanks with just about anything. That, that's fair. I was just curious because every time I watch that movie, I'm like, why? You just no keep leaving doesn't. him alone with the priceless artifacts. I mean, yeah. He, he ripped a page out of Galileo's journal in one of those movies and uh-huh. screamed audibly in the theater. So. I was about to say he stole the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> no, but then no, I remember, no, that was Nick Cage. I remembered I had the wrong guy in a suit. I, I, trust, I trust Nick Cage to, to, to handle our, our national artifacts. That's fine. So Nick Cage, okay. Tom Hanks, questionable. Yes, definitely. It just okay. seems too nice. <laughs> I think we've got a little off topic here, y'all. Well, that's no, that's okay. fine. That's, that's okay. fine. That's what a podcast is for. Let's get back on topic. Okay. Jake, Godzilla. Oh. Yes. Uh, the um, <laughs> My preferred era of Godzilla film is the Heisei era, which ran from 1984's Godzilla Returns to 1995's Godzilla vs. Destoroya. Really good series. It's it's unique among Godzilla films because it actually has a continuity between films. It's really good. There's like characters and arcs that continue between between films. Uh, highly recommend it. Underrated gems. Okay. Now, what was your first Godzilla movie? Like, how'd you get into Godzilla movies? Oh goodness, I was like six, probably. Uh, I have to imagine it had to be Godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla. Uh, which is a very good movie, uh, very 70s. Um, that's probably the earliest one I can remember, but I'm sure there were others before that. Mine was King Kong versus Godzilla, so I'm a little reluctant to watch the new one because there's oh, yes. no way it's going to be better than the old one where the guys are dressed up. That, see, that infuriated uh, me at seven because there was no way in my mind that King Kong could defeat Godzilla. And then now as an adult seeing the new film, it's like, this doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen it yet because every time I think about watching it, I just watch the original. I like Big Lizard and I like Big Monkey and I think they should be big <laughs> friends. And that's all that really matters. They're like the original odd couple. <laughs> Who's Felix? That'd be Kong. Certainly. And then Godzilla's Oscar. Okay. My first Godzilla was Godzilla the Animated Series. Oh, good choice. Oh. With the, um, you know, wonderfully, horribly 80s theme song. And if anybody remembers him, my favorite character is Godzuki. Godzuki, indeed. <laughs> I was actually about to ask you which Godzilla the Animated Series, but the Godzuki one. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I remember that one. So what, like, is your, what is your opinion? you should have been. Go ahead. Oh, he's everything Scrappy Doo should have been. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. What is your take on like the 1999 Godzilla with the P Diddy? Oh, the, well, the theme song. Honestly, the music was incredible. Yeah, I, like, was, I like that song a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the 1998 Godzilla. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> uh, like Jean Reno is in that film. I forget that sometimes. Leon the Professional is in that movie. Um, it's bad, but in like a fun way. It's okay. it's fine. I just like it's a different movie. Different kind of film. Uh, Is that the one with Ferris Bueller? Yeah. Oh. Ferris Bueller's in it. Um, There's like a. It had the best soundtrack though. There's like a revenge character based on Roger Ebert because the director didn't like uh, 
his reviews of his films. It was a, a review of Independence Day, yes, wasn't it, correct. that upset him? Yeah, correct. Yeah. yeah, so there's a lot of just real good energy in that movie. The only thing I liked about the movie, I saw it at the drive-in. So on that big screen at night, everything sort of disappeared, so it looked like you were watching him tear up the city. Mm. And that was cool. That is cool. But yeah, it's the only one I don't, I don't watch again. Probably because I'm so busy watching King Kong versus Godzilla over and over again. Or like VHSs of slasher movies that no one has heard of. Well, this is you are who you are. Well, I don't have no guilt. friends. No guilt. No, no guilt. No I don't guilt. care. Do you like okay. the part where King Kong electrocutes Godzilla with his like lightning hands? Heck yeah! Like, like I like all. everything. I like it when they're kicking rocks at each other, like a couple of yeah. mean school kids, and it's what great apes do, honestly. <laughs> what was your introduction to Godzilla, Michelle? I don't know which one it was. It was like on Turner Classic Movies or something on a Saturday morning. And my dad was like, we're watching this. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. I don't know what it was. I, but it was cool. It was old, like old dubbed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Now, what's cool. amazing, for one Halloween we showed, we had a horrorama all day, one Saturday. And the middle movie was Destroy All Monsters. Yes. And it was nothing but dads with their sons. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was amazing because then, like, the last movie that Horathon was uh, Hocus, Hocus Pocus, Pocus, and it was nothing but moms and their daughters. Yep. <laughs> I, I would have gone to both of those movies for sure. It was cool. That was, that was fun. I enjoyed putting that on. Hopefully we get to do that again one day. Yeah. All right. Now I have a completely random off-topic question that just popped into my head. Um, what's your favorite Transformer? Uh, let's see. The... Um, I'm a big fan of the kind that like channels electricity to all of our homes and occasionally like makes these big explosion noises. Um, that's pretty fun. Actually, no, I have an alternate um, answer to this. Mm-hmm. It's uh, Mothra, the giant monster, because she goes through metamorphosis. Um, any given Mothra film, you tend to see her whole like life cycle go out from like larva to pupa to imago form. And then sometimes she dies in a fire explosion. Um, that's the truest Transformer in my, um, <laughs> my understanding. All right. Nora, your favorite Transformer? Oh, he took mine with Mothra. <laughs> <laughs> and Mothra, not counting Godzuki. Is actually my favorite uh, Godzilla character. Oh, she's when so I, good. I know. When I was a kid, my brother had a bazillion Godzilla toys. And because of the weird gender things that you get growing up in the 90s in the Deep South, um, I was not allowed to have gender toy or Godzilla toys. So um, I stole his Mothra action figure that had like a button that made the <laughs> noises. Um, and hid it in my room, and it was mine, and I'm pretty sure it is still hidden in my bedroom at my parents' house, because um, I had a really good hiding place behind the baseboards for it. Um, so okay, that's cool. Mothra is actually my favorite Godzilla character. She's one of the only monsters from those films who's always benevolent, mm-hmm. and she often loses, but she, like, adapts and comes back and, and keeps going. She's and honestly the only films I ever cared about were the ones with Fantastic. <laughs> Does she still have the two little sand girls with her everywhere? I think not in the more modern ones, but who cares? <sighs> but who cares? It doesn't matter. It's like, <laughs> they were great. She, the she, she had the, uh, the, uh, the, the Shobijin fairies all the way through 2004's Godzilla Final Wars. So, you okay. know. And there were three fairies in the 90s um, Rebirth of Mothra trilogy. One of them was evil. 
Which Godzilla was it during that time that Steven Spielberg's dad saw a UFO and took that? Do you remember, you remember what I'm talking about? There's a battleship, and the the guy says something. It's a throwaway line. Well, Mr. Spielberg or Commander Spielberg, whatever, whatever, whatever. He's like, oh, that. now I have a fantastic story to tell my son. And oh. it was like the idea was that it was Steven Spielberg's dad saw a UFO, took that story back to him, and then he became this director of science fiction. <sighs> was that Godzilla versus King Ghidra? Uh, I can't recall. It might was be it, that Was it like one. on a, a U.S. warship? Yes. Yeah, I think it might have been Godzilla versus Ghidra because that has some time travel shenanigans. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's it. That's it. I think that might be it. But I, I, I you know, I'm going to have to look this up now. <laughs> I love that this has turned into a, a Godzilla fan podcast. Yeah. Well, Just I mean, for today. If you don't like Godzilla. Who doesn't? Everybody should. That's right. Yeah. You don't have to like all of them, but you should. I'm going to be 3D printing as many of these monsters as I can. So, you know. Oh, cool. <laughs> Fair warning to the, the people of South Huntsville. So when they get down there, Jake will have his collection of Godzilla figures all over the, oh, well, I'm going to go down there and hang out. <laughs> <laughs> you traitor. Well, you, what do you have over here? You, you got some penguins? Armadillos you or something. Here? People of Madison, there are some incredible penguins here and dragon eggs and octopus and rhinoceros beetles. It's really good quality stuff. Some of the stuff is pretty amazing. I will admit. You have, I don't know where you get this stuff. I know. I know. You can't see her. She's like, ah, oh, more, more. <laughs> get, get them to cheer for her. Oh, man, which button is the cheer button? Nope. Oh, I'll take that. I'll take that. <laughs> there it is. There it is. We'll cheer for Nora. Now Nora's disappearing in a mystical flurry. There we go. That's accurate. It matches her hair, your bright pink hair. I, I have too much vocal fry to cheer, but I'm doing a little applause right now. <laughs> Thanks. Um, but all of those things that Rob did just left off are actually available for summer reading prizes. So if you read books and turn in your trackers every week, we'll be drawing names for people who get to adopt these awesome critters and take them home. Um, because they are currently overrunning my 3D print table, I need help. <laughs> I'm partial to the Captain Picard head myself. Yeah, he's not up for adoption, sorry. But the penguins are, and they are ridiculously cute. So do you guys, you know our sign-off. I do. Do you know our sign-off? It's no. No matter what they say. No matter what they do. Don't don't trust trust robots. (laughs) (laughs) The views expressed by the hosts are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the Huntsville-Madison County Library System. For more information on the Huntsville-Madison County Public Library, visit us online at hmcpl.org. If you'd like to learn more about some of the topics discussed today, visit your local library, which is us. No representation is made that your librarian is more knowledgeable than other librarians or that they have any expertise on your particular project. Okay, I did hit record. Okay. (laughs) I did. I was like, wait, I don't remember doing it. It's red. It's red. Okay, I'm sorry.